0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on BlueWire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by Elisa Hernandez. Elisa is the host of the podcast Sportsish on the Believe Network a field producer for Spectrum Sportsnet LA covering the Los Angeles Dodgers, and is a host, editor, and producer at NFL Network, working mostly with NFL International. As a two-time Emmy winner, Elisa shares the importance of standing tall in who you are, the constructive criticism that changed her career, and how a vision board got her podcast going. Elisa is candid, inspirational, and funny, while she and I talk all things Dodgers, obviously. You're going to love this episode. So subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy. Alisa, thank you so much for joining me for Get My Job Day. I've been so excited to talk to you.
1: <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Honestly, honored to be Part of the podcast because I see the posts that you do on Instagram and I'd be a little jealous. Like, I want to be on there, I want to be showcased.
0: <laughs> oh, well, fantastic! Well, we are very happy to have you on. And then, for those of you who don't know, Elisa and I uh talk about bedazzling Dodgers jerseys on Twitter like <laughs> all the time, Um, uh, because Elisa <laughs> is a field producer for the Dodgers in sports in L.A. I am just a full-on Dodgers fangirl, and <laughs> um, love them all so much. So just every night, it's like, whose jersey are we going to bedazzle next? So That's right. um, next up, we'll have our bedazzling party. Oh, yeah. um, but but <laughs> today's podcast, that we can talk about jerseys for sure, uh, is about you and your journey. So I would love for you to start just kind of by taking us through your professional journey to this point.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a, a loaded question because my journey has been very hard and unique. And, but, you know, it's one of the beautiful things of our industry. Most places when you want to decide on a career, it's a pretty straight line to get there. You know, you want to be a doctor, you go to med school, you do your residency, all that stuff, your fellowship. You want to be a lawyer, you go to law school, um, you pass the, the LSATs, I believe it is. Um, you pass the bar. There's a straight line on how to get there. And I feel like for sports media, media in general, it's really what you make of it. It's really Mm -hmm. the effort you put in. It's what you get out of it. And you get obviously discouraged when you see other people advance faster than you or you see people in different positions. I would have been great at that or you're always second because someone else was just, you know, five seconds faster than you. So it can be discouraging at times, but my career has been very full circle up to this point. And I say that because, so I went to USC Mm -hmm. and being at USC really fast tracked me in a way where, you know, I'm covering the Lakers, I'm covering the Sparks, I'm covering the Kings, the Clippers, and I'm in this pool with ESPN, ABC7, KCAL9, CBS, Fox Sports, and you're exposed to all these people. And it's, again, it's up to you to make those connections, If you just Mm -hmm. go to those games, interview the players and go home, that's not going to get you far in this industry because you need to talk to everyone. You need to talk to the beat reporters. You need to talk to the play-by-play guys. You need to talk to the staff. You need to talk to the players. You need to talk to the trainers. You need to talk to PR. Like You need to talk to everyone. So you can't just be comfortable being in your own world when you go cover events. So my being in that kind of area, I've met a lot of people and I got a lot of internships through that. And it's full circle for me for the first time because my intern coordinator at KCAL 9, when I was a junior, ended up leaving to a new station called Time Warner Cable, which is now Spectrum Sportsnet, which is now home to the Dodgers, home to the Lakers, home to the Sparks, home to the Galaxy. He left at that time. I was a great intern, or I like to think I was. (laughs)
0: I'm sure you have no doubt.
1: (laughs) When I graduated college, I sent him a message like, Hey, I just graduated. I wanted to say thank you so much. I noticed you got a new job at Time Warner. Congratulations. If there's any, any openings, I hope you think of me. And I'm coming out of college. Like I'm trying to get a job right away. Now, my dream is always to be on camera. Okay. But life takes you different directions at the time. You know, my family was just more important to me at the time than my career. And I don't regret that decision because I'm a big family person. And I wanted to stay close to home. And so he got back to me and said, yeah, sure. You know, we need someone in our studio operations department. Just so you know, that's not on camera. It's just like studio ops, which is like audio two camera, lighting, you know, runner, prompter. And I was like, I'll take it. I'm making $10 an hour. And he offered me like 17 And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I will take no, it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I went there. I worked there for three years. During that time, I also got an opportunity to return to NFL Network because I interned at NFL Network as well. Okay. And the only position they had was as ticker operator. So the thing that scrolls at the bottom of the screen at NFL Network with the matchups and the DJ's breakdown of the top 20 prospects, I, I was in charge of inputting all that and correcting, you know, spelling all that and doing breaking news hits and news alerts and all that stuff. That's where I started at NFL Network. And now I am a producer working for the NFL International Department, editing, creating story boxes for Canada, UK, Germany, Mexico, um, UK as well as here in the US. And so I've kind of find my way up as much as I can, but I'm a big believer in taking opportunities when they come to you. That job at Spectrum Sportsnet ended up getting me my first Emmy because I worked on a show for Lead Off LA that won an Emmy. And so I ended up getting one and I was, I think I was a prompter. I was stage manager technically, but <laughs> I was like doing prompter and all kind of stuff. And so I remember when I won the Emmy, I, you know, I'm thinking there's supposed to be this big show. And I remember telling my mom, like, oh, like, I think you have to pay for it. But I don't, so I don't think I'm gonna get it. And my mom's like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, I, keep mind, I'm coming out of college, guys. Okay, 300 dollars is a lot. Right, so I was like, I was like, I don't know, like, you know, it costs money. Like, aren't they supposed to be free if like, you were really me- if you were really meant to get them? <laughs> and my mom's like yeah, we're we're gonna get that. So, okay. <laughs> you know, my mom and, and uh, good being the baby of the family fashion bought me my first Emmy.
0: Okay. Um, That's what I, I that. So in in you won the Emmy and then you have to pay to actually get the Emmy.
1: Yes, so you technically get the the title and the acknowledgement of winning the Emmy. Okay. Um, but then there's like a fee attached, like to pay for it to like get it shipped and all that stuff. Oh, and I oh, I yeah, yeah. To get it, to actually physically get it. And so my mom was like, you're crazy. Like you're getting this. And so I was like, okay, you know, it's funny. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> but <laughs> um, So my Emmy came and when I saw it, it really put things in perspective for me in the fact that I'm working in LA. I'm coming out of college. I'm working with this crew. I need to take this opportunity to continue to, Evolve and continue to meet people, continue to talk to people. And so even though I was a prompter, even though I was a stage manager, even though I was, you know, training on camera, I wanted to be the best at everything that I could possibly be the best at. And the reason it's full circle is because fast forwarding to my job with the Dodgers now, you know, Alana Rizzo was looking for a field producer. Mm-hmm. Um, during um, my has career been
0: on this podcast. Yes, she has. Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and now she's, you know, MLB network, she worked for sports in LA for seven years, I was yeah. lucky enough to be her field producer for two of uh, two of those years. And you know, she was looking for someone. And during my time, I had worked at Lakers TV. I'd worked at Dodgers Nation. I met people at Pantone 294. And so I made my rounds around this industry and mm-hmm. I'm very prideful of my reputation and what I bring to the table and what my name means when you hear it. And two people recommended me to her. And so she's like, okay, I have to meet this girl then because, you know, two people that I respect both came back with this one person's name. Mm-hmm. Turns out, she remembered me because I met her in 2016 at Fan Fest when I used to work at Dodgers Nation, and me and her had maybe a three minute conversation, maybe, and all we talked about was me introducing her. I was like, "Oh, hi, like my name is Lisa I I'm the host for DodgersNation.com. You know, I'm a big fan of yours, and I wanted to, you know, just meet you." And I was like, "Plus, you're a Broncos fan, and I'm a Broncos fan." And she's like, "Oh, really? Like that's so great. Like you ever been to Denver?" And I was like, "Oh, not yet." You know, I hope to go one day. And she's all, oh, that's great. That was it. You know, it's FanFest. She's busy. And she literally goes, I've met you before. You like the Broncos. I was
0: like, yes. That's awesome. And why do you like the Broncos? That's an aside. But I'm just curious. Why do you like the Broncos? OK, so
1: it's not the most glamorous story, but when I was growing up, actually, even now, I was obsessed with horses. Okay. And so uh, it's such a girly answer, but I mean, whatever. I was obsessed with horses, and the Broncos horse I was obsessed with, and it was so cute. And then they had, you know, um, (laughs) they had uh, all these like toys and things. And I'm I'm learning about the game, and then next thing I know, I'm blessed with John Elway, Terrell Davis, Jenna Sharp, you know. And
0: that that, will do it. I can. And then
1: that'll do it. That just sealed it. Don't get it wrong. We had many many years where I should have quit, but. The Jake Plumbers and the uh, Kyle Ortons of the world—you uh, know—they they, they kept me strong somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and now, and now we're Super Bowl champs, and Super Bowl Fifty. So now I'm just not going anywhere. But yes, that's why I'm a Broncos fan living in Los it. Angeles. That's always gets people confused because they're like, "Shouldn't you be a Rams fan or a Raiders fan?" I'm like, "No, it's okay. I'm a 49ers
0: <laughs> fan and Dodgers fan, which throws people."
1: Off the- <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so you you know you know <laughs> you know the struggle you know the struggle so. She remembered that conversation and she's like, oh my gosh. So then we talked about that a little more and, and she asked me some questions about my professionalism, like where I see myself, things like that. And <clears throat> so I interviewed with her. I also interviewed at Spectrum Sports in LA. And the two people that interviewed me remembered, they're like, you used to work here, right? I did, you know? And so wow. that kind of full circle moment um, allowed me to return to Sports in LA because I had left for about two years or three years. When I was working at NFL Network, and then I won my second Emmy as part of the 2019 broadcast as a field producer with Alana Rizzo. So
0: oh, fantastic.
1: It's one of those things that it all started because my old intern coordinator took a chance on me in the studio operations department. <laughs>
0: you know? You brought up a very interesting point earlier. Um, about your reputation and how important mm-hmm. that is. And I think your journey is a perfect example of that. You obviously made an impression on Alana. Obviously you made an impression at Spectrum Sports in LA when you were there before. And I think it's an important thing for our listeners to remember how important it is to, you know, have a good reputation, to work hard and to not burn bridges and and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's, you know, it's a big, important thing. It
1: is because you know what, I when I speak at, at high school you know, classes and things like that, one thing I tell them, is like, you can't be responsible for other people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you can be responsible for yourself. So, you know, if someone's rude to you, that's on them. Mm-hmm. You are only responsible for how you respond to that rudeness. You know, how you respond okay. to them not appreciating you as a person. You're not responsible for them. So you are in charge of walking away with class and dignity and respect. And... I've had jobs where I felt disrespected. I felt, you know, away. And had I been immature, could I have made a scene? Could I have cursed out my boss? Of course. But what does that do for me? At the end of the day, that's not going to hurt their feelings. It's not going to make them change. They are who they are. But their influence at a higher level can affect me. So it doesn't matter how certain things end. You need to just take the good out of every situation, learn from your situation in the sense like, okay, I can't trust this person this way. Uh I can't work with this person this way and, and move on, you know, because like I said, you have only certain time that you can kind of be immature. And most of those come when you're a student (laughs) and because people can understand, oh, they're a student. Oh, they're still learning. Once that student title is gone, that safety blanket is gone. Um, That safety net is gone. And so you need to kind of humble yourself many times and understand that everyone in this industry is going to make you empty promises. Mm -hmm. People in this industry are going to say they're going to help you when they don't. People in this industry are going to try to take credit for things you did on their own, on on your own. Mm -hmm. And you just have to stand tall in who you are and what your name means, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to follow you farther. I mean, even working at Dodgers, the same cameraman that I was an intern with that placated me and filmed some standups for me, I see them now, you know, and Mm -hmm. and they smile and hey, they're they're, they're happy to see me. Imagine if four or five or at this point, like six years ago, I was like rude to them. I thought cameramen were beneath me. You know what? What if I
0: did that? Mm hmm.
1: They're gonna be around forever. They're trying to see if I'm gonna be around forever. <laughs> no, that's like 100 true. And so that's one of the things that I made sure that I treated everyone with respect, and I try to learn everyone's job because, again, like trying to be an honor talent, lighting is super. The lighting guy is like your should be your best friend.
0: Mm-hmm. The camera
1: guys as well, the audio guys as well, because they bring you to life, and they make sure that you're okay on camera, and. You have to take care of them because you want them to take care of you as well and so that's one thing that I learned in my career and it's it's a nutshell of everything that I've done and obviously now taking uh, break it into the podcast world with my sports dish podcast on the believe network and that's a new frontier for me, and trust me, I've been I've been listening to you, <laughs> and trying to get some tips on on how smooth you make your voice and your transitions are so clean, like uh, because it's definitely mm-hmm. an art form, and I have a a newfound respect for podcasters. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I was an editor for many podcasts at NFL Network around the NFL, Move the Sticks, the R&B podcast, Dave Dameshek pod, uh, podcast, and. I never realized, like, oh my gosh, they do so much work to put this on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so, that's a very good point.
1: (laughs) Yes, I I respect everyone. Uh, I know it's a long form answer, but yes, that (laughs)
0: that is not at all. That's a
1: nutshell of my career so far.
0: (laughs) Well, and you've transitioned into. I have a. I'm going to get back to, I want to talk about you know last season and COVID and the World Series and all the mm-hmm. things, but let's talk about the podcast first, uh, mm-hmm. because first of all, congratulations. Um, <laughs> as you, you just said, it is a lot of work putting on a podcast. It's not an easy thing to do. So mm-hmm. congratulations for the new pod and doing that. I'd love to know a little bit about how that came about and kind of what's been the biggest surprise for you so far in podcasting. So
1: first of all, thank you.
0: Yes. <laughs> and... Well, um, <laughs> Basically,
1: it's going to sound really weird, but my sister is really big on vision boards and she's been trying to get me to do one forever. And I was always like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll I'll do it later. (laughs) So (laughs) finally, she's like, you need to do this. You need to sit down and like just she's like, it's she's like, okay, if you don't want to believe in the fact of manifesting, whatever. But you need to really put down your goals because you'll be surprised what they are. And I'm like, all right, fine. Now, I am a true believer in manifesting. I mean, I am a believer in like saying things out out loud and hoping that it comes true and also working towards that goal. So I actually wrote down at the beginning of this year that I wanted to start a podcast. Okay. I didn't know when. I didn't know how. I didn't know what I would talk about. But I put that down. I even wrote down lists of like certain guests I could have on, maybe have on, you know, and I just wrote it out. That was in January. So this opportunity came about at the end of May. I applied to a position as a honor talent for the Believe Network. And I applied twice. Um, The first time, I don't know. I don't know if I got lost, but they didn't call me back. And then the second, Mm -hmm. I just refused to say no for an answer. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I really don't know.
0: It's not a bad quality.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I applied again and then they contacted me and they told me like, you know, we looked at all your stuff. We looked at your website and you have a really good voice. You have a really good command of what, you, of what you're what you passionate to talk about. And we'd love to like have you on. We need you to come up with an idea for your show. And so Sports-ish came about because... I'm a big believer in athletes telling their own stories. It's a big, it's a big reason why I'm such a fan of the player's tribune Uh because more and more athletes are realizing that they have so much power to control their own narrative without having to trust it to a third party. Uh Now they also need us to maybe cultivate it a little more or, or define it a little more, but I like the idea of athletes speaking in their own words. And so I my the, the premise of my show is basically to talk to athletes, current, former um, men, women, different sports, and either talk to them how they're able to stay at the top of their game or how they're able to transition out of the thing that they thought was going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Because I think that it's important to kind of share those stories. So, so far I've had... MSU, former MSU cornerback, Josh Butler. He had a great story uh, where he rescued these two dogs following the passing of both his parents when he was in college and turning his adoption of these two beautiful animals literally into a whole entrepreneurship. He has over a million followers on TikTok. He has... Over he had like over a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. He has such a great following for something that came so organically, and he's been able to turn that into endorsements from Petco and 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 different other organizations and, and make a living that way while still chasing his NFL dream. And so, I think it's important to shed light on the, on those kind of those kind of athletes. Now, I don't have a guest every week; it's it's every other week. So the biggest surprise about podcasting that I've learned so far is that I don't like talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like talking about myself when it's so funny or, or really hearing myself because sometimes I hear myself and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I sound annoying. Oh my gosh. Why did I laugh there? Oh my gosh. Like I laugh too much or whatever. So that's one of the biggest things that I've learned is like, I really don't talk about myself very much. And it's something my friends make fun of me of because they, I always say, like, man, I haven't done anything in like anything in my career, and they're just like, um, weren't you on Lakers TV? Like, yeah, didn't you host Dodgers Nation and were like the editor in chief and X, Y, and Z? Yeah, don't you work for the Dodgers now? Yeah, don't you work for NFL Network?
0: Yeah. So what are you talking about? <laughs> well, These are all our our, our, our <laughs> toughest critics.
1: Yes, we are. So I'm, I'm. I'm trying to get better. So I, you know, it's see everything happens for a reason. So you, you're this podcast came at the best time because it's kind of forcing me to open up and and kind of tell a little more about myself. <laughs> so which I think is important. That. It
0: brings up the point of for all of us, we have to be our own best advocate, and we have mm-hmm. to kind of have the confidence and it's not easy and it's certainly not every day and you're no one no No. one wakes up every day and is like I'm great like no one feels (laughs) I've done so many wonderful (laughs) things but we do have to be our own best advocate and have confidence in what we've done and and what we bring to the table Mm -hmm. uh, and Mm -hmm. who we are and it's such an important part of this business and about life it is it is you know and
1: it's funny because in an interview get me in an interview oh I'm I'm humble bragging all day but if you just ask me I'm gonna be like oh you know I, I work for the Dodgers it's no, no big deal you know and they're yeah. just like I'm, I'm okay can you speak up what did you say <laughs> it's like you're gonna make me say it okay well this is what I oh, what did I go what do you do and have you met Cody Bellinger have you met Mookie Betts and I'm just like Yeah, you know, it's just, I get so shy, which is so weird, because I'm a very social person, or I can be a very social person.
0: Um, I mean, hello, we're bedazzle buddies. We're bedazzle buddies, which is um, really just fantastic. But you know, I think a lot of times I think as as women, especially, there has been this idea of being not not to brag about yourself, not to have a big ego, all those things. Mm -hmm. And I do agree having a big ego is not, because ego is different than your accomplishments, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And and ego is, is kind of a complicated thing. But I think we're told that at the end of the day, though, you've done great work. You've had a lot of accomplishments. You've done great things. You've had dreams and you've made them a reality. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with talking about those things. And it should be celebrated. And again, goes back to being your own best advocate because that mm-hmm. is how more opportunities are going to come and, and come and come is for people to know what you're doing.
1: It's very true because one thing my friend told me um, was like, how are people going to know you're so great if you don't show anyone? Right. And I'm like, well, I do, I do it at work. And they're like, yeah, they're, she's like, do you see people literally getting ESPN jobs because a TikTok went viral or because the editing video went viral? Like, you need to put your stuff out there because I had done some hype videos for Super Bowl. You know, I've done, I edited a feature on a, on the Australian punter from the uh, Mitch which Mitch Wisnowski, excuse me, from the 49ers, mm-hmm. his pun, I did a feature yes. on, oh, we nice. did a, we, yeah, we edited a feature on him to to air in Australia. And I just, I did it. I sent it out. I got great feedback internally from my bosses. And then that's where I left it. And realistically, could I have posted it? Could I have, I could have, but I just, I don't know. I just felt like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to brag about myself. And so I, I started getting better at that. And like you said, it's not bragging. It's celebrating. It's celebrating it's your, your accomplishments. accomplishments. It's, it's your work. Exactly.
0: Exactly. You know, you know, it's not, you're not going on Twitter and saying, Hey guys, I know Cody Bellinger. Have a great day. That's <laughs> like not, that's like not, which by the way, you know, I'd be like so into that tweet, but I understand that like other people, maybe not. So that's different than, hey, guys, just wanted to show you this hype video I did for which which Wichnowski that's going to air in Australia. Like, I'm really proud of it. Would love to hear your feedback. You know, that's a different, yeah. it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something we all have to get comfortable with. And mm-hmm. I think, it, you know, it's something we all have to work on. But it's important to mm-hmm. share your work and celebrate your work and and be mm-hmm. proud of your work. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> and it's so kind of along those lines, speaking being good work. Um, so obviously last year, during COVID was a very strange time for Mm -hmm. everyone, for sports, for baseball. Uh, But the Dodgers did win the World Series, as anybody who follows me knows. (laughs) Um, And so I would just kind of love to know what that experience was like. And then were you in Texas?
1: So I was in Texas, but okay. I wasn't uh I wasn't working. I took the night off and I went I was I was there as a fan. So I did see them win the World Series. Um But I during
0: went, that month they were there. Were you there working? Or did you just you went as a fan?
1: No. So we okay. weren't we weren't even allowed to go. It was uh basically just Alana and the ENG yeah, so I knew crew, Which is which is one camera. There. Yeah, it was basically two people representing sports in LA out there. Okay. Because is just that's that's how strict it was obviously mm-hmm. with covid and it was much more intense back then um, in terms of our access like realistically even going to the stadium we were allowed in two places the suite where we would film the pregame shows suite 211 at Dodger Stadium and our car that was it i wasn't even allowed to go into the media room so i had to bring my like you know my lunch and and we had a we brought a microwave and we basically made that like our little home base mm-hmm. because we were watching An empty stadium, we were watching the team. And, but that's all we were allowed to go. We weren't allowed to go downstairs. We weren't allowed to go anywhere near the field. We weren't allowed to, we were basically allowed to watch from a bird's eye view and that, and a bird's eye view. (laughs) And that's it. And um, it was, it was really interesting because. At times, it really felt like we ran it out the stadium for us.
0: <laughs> I right. I'm sure, I'm sure it did have that feeling.
1: And then at times, you know, you just you really learn to miss fans. Like we do, fans. It's a love and hate relationship with them, you know. Especially when you when you cover the Dodgers, because I see how hard these guys work. And I've seen how hard Kenley worked and when he would get booze and he would get all I'm just like, oh, you guys don't even know, you know, <laughs> it's like everything he does. Um, but you learn to miss that because it motivates the team in such a powerful way. And honestly, towards the end of the season, we I mean, I was cheering. I know the Cardinal rule is to not cheer from the press box, but I was in a suite, so, you know, it didn't count.
0: <laughs> in a suite, you're fine. I, I, sit in, I sit in press box for every 49ers game, and you were definitely not allowed to cheer. But I think when you're in a suite... Exactly. You're
1: <laughs> when you're in a suite and you're one of, like, 20 people there, I mean, just saying.
0: I think it's, a, I think it's very different. Um, mm-hmm. So I, And, you know, someone had to cheer. But you're right, you do miss fans. And I mm-hmm. noticed it early in the NFL season, it was very strange. I felt for me personally, I adapted quickly, uh, but it is kind of a strange thing. And there were, there were games, especially early on home games in the season where I felt like if there were fans in here, they may have, it it just would make a difference. You Mm -hmm. know, there is something about pumping up the team. That's why there are fans. That's Mm -hmm. why there's sports. I mean, that's, there's a reason it all goes together. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I imagine for being at, you know, that many games, it's, it's very, uh, it's very interesting and it's different. You don't have to wave. I mean, it's all the all the things.
1: <laughs> it's true. You know, Kelly said something uh, that season where someone, a reporter asked, like, "How does it feel with the artificial crowd noise when they play California Love? You're coming out of the bullpen. Does the noise help?" And he's like, "Honestly, I don't even pay attention to it. Like, it's not. Right. It's just not the same. You know, it's not the same because." California Love and Kenley, if you're a Dodger fan, you know how iconic those two things go together, you know. Mm-hmm. And even his new walk up song now starts off with California Love at the very beginning before it crashes and turns into two America's most wanted. But you definitely miss that. You know, you knew when Kenley was coming in, you know, the second it was like California Love. Everybody was like, oh, my gosh, it's Kenley time. You know, and so yeah. you miss that that excitement, that burst of energy. And I feel it now, every time Albert Pujols goes to the, goes to bat. Every time he's on the on-deck circle. I mean, yesterday's game... They uh, pulled out lux. They put pool holes in because the crowd was was dying out. It was and
0: hot. We listening? We're we we're, we're recording this on Monday, the day before the All Star Game. Yes, the day after the forty nine, uh, not the forty ers The Dodgers came back and beat the Diamondbacks.
1: Yes, 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 yes. For that Max Muncie walk off, and you know the the crowd was like kind of dead. You know it was um it was hot. We were down four one, and you know pool holes comes in and. Everyone started cheering so loud, like everyone got up off their feet, you know, and it's like that's why you need fans, you know, to pick your team up at home when you're facing a 4-1 deficit in the eighth inning. You know, that that's the beauty of sports. That's the beauty of fans, the beauty of of honestly just having a full capacity stadium right now um it's definitely something we missed last year and that's why when people say like oh the 2020 is the mickey mouse Championships," like i'm sorry but it was really hard for them to win that world series
0: i think in some ways it was harder they had yeah. games but you the circumstances were much more um adverse
1: so oh there's no five game losing streaks allowed are you yeah. kidding me so <laughs> i think it's a,
0: it's a different thing well speaking of fans I want to go back for a minute. Um, you were in Texas when they won. I was at games one and two, but mm. I was not there when they won. Mm. Can you talk about a little bit about when you put the fan hat on and what that experience was like to be there?
1: You know, I had to have both of them on at the same time because uh, when I I, know I put on my Twitter that I was flying out to Texas, uh, Fox Sports Central Texas reached out to me and they were like, hey, like, can you come on the show? Uh, when you land and I was like sure you know and so uh, I had to be professional for like the first half and then it's like I took my professional hat off and then I went to the game and I haven't done that since like, 2017 2018 uh-huh. maybe, um where I was just allowed to be a fan you know just cheer as loud as I want cry you know um boo like just just be a fan fan and it's rare that I get to do that because I've been working in sports so long because I've covered so many sports and it's one of the things that it was such a beautiful moment for me and my sister because my sister is the true Dodger fan I became I'll be I'll be honest I didn't become a real Dodger fan probably till 2016 and my sister was a Dodger fan years and years before that and so I went to the game with her and some of her friends and when they won having Julio close it out Mookie and Barnes getting us on the board to get the win, we cried. <laughs> like We <laughs> legit cried. And I was so happy for this team. I was so happy for Dave Roberts. I was so happy for Kenley and Kershaw because my professional side, knowing the work that they put in, the sacrifices they have made, it just made it better to watch them win that. And I was really happy that I was able to see them uh, get that World Series trophy In Texas, and it was something I never forget. And on top of that, while I was, it was the fifth inning, and I get a text from one of my friends, and they're like, "Hey, are are you in Texas?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm at the game." And they're like, "Oh, well, I have a friend that does SEN radio in Australia, and they're looking for someone to to go on the radio and talk about the game. Like, can you do it?"
0: Oh, that's awesome!
1: And I'm like right now and he's like yeah and keep in mind in that in globe life uh stadium it's really hard to get reception and so it's really hard hard. and so i'm like okay sure so i of course don't want to miss any of the game but i also can't be on this phone call doing this interview at the, you know, in my seat. So I had to go out and I'm like watching the TV and nothing's really happening. And so I go on, I do my radio hit and I'm talking about the atmosphere and Urias and Kershaw and what this means for him and things like that. And then they're like, Okay, we're good. I was like, Okay, bye. And then I just hung up and then ran right back to my seat uh in time to see the runs come in. So I didn't really miss anything. But um it's a constant in and out, but it was something I'll definitely remember forever.
0: Um, good crying story. This is not about me, but I think this is sort of funny. And I think we'll a <laughs> laugh. is I was at opening day, um, obviously for the ring ceremony and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I cried the entire ring ceremony. Then <laughs> went on my Instagram story. I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to be posting all the things from the ring ceremony, the videos, the raising of the flag. I cried the whole time. And then I started to cry again while telling everybody about how I cried. <laughs> It's emotional, okay? It's it's, It's emotional. It is
1: emotional. It is emotional. emotional. (laughs) Because you're just so happy for them, like because again, like uh, covering this team, I seeing the work that it's seeing what happened. You know, the prior years losing to the Cubs, losing to the Nationals, um, being cheated by the Astros. I mean, it's just. Oh, don't, so, even <laughs> calls don't even anybody
0: follows
1: me. Exactly, but it's yeah. like seeing them go through all of that. Everyone that they had lost to in the postseason went on to win the World Series, mm-hmm. and it was just so heartbreaking to see them go through those moments, and then to finally have them uh, win it. Especially when the year before they got knocked out so early on, after having an astronomically statistical season. Was heartbreaking. I remember going into that clubhouse, and everyone is just—they're like almost—they're like stunned, almost like what just happened? Like, did Howie Kendrick really just do that? Like, I was dressed because uh, we had to change, you know, when to prepare this is post pre COVID. Mm-hmm. Um We had to get changed to different clothes because you know they're going to be dumping beer and water and all kind of things. And so I literally went to go change, and then I come back, and it was like. Howie Kendrick did what he did, and I was like, "What?"
0: No, <laughs> like, was, I was at that game. I was yeah. like, "What just what what, what
1: what like what just what happened?" happened? Did, Howie, I what, cried, did By the way, I just, cried then too, but very was different. was that former Dodger on current Dodger crime? Like, what what just happened? And so then, you know, I didn't want to go in there with like my swishy shirt, and my hat, so I had to go change again. Yeah, um, and so we go in, and it's just it's it was just heartbreaking to see them lose that way, especially because we knew that this club was coming to an end in terms of these group of guys being together. We knew that that time was coming to an end. And if you've covered the Dodgers, you know how crucial Kike was and how amazing it was to have, you know, Rich Hill at the time and um, David Fries was there. And we knew that, you know, Taylor and everyone, like Turner contracts and things like that, were going to come into play very, very soon. And you just really wanted those group of guys to win one together because they built this team over and over and over and they kept winning the NL West and they kept getting into the playoffs. And so they just needed to pass that hurdle. So when you saw them do that after all the obstacles that they face was just, it was amazing to see as a fan, as a professional, and just as honestly a sports, uh, enthusiast of baseball.
0: Switching gears entirely. so <laughs> I to warn you. Um, <laughs> A little switch gears, but, um, what is a criticism that you've received at some point in your career that was difficult to take, but became a positive. I ask all of our guests mm-hmm. and I think the answers are all really interesting. You know, it's enunciating. Oh, that's interesting. See? Yes.
1: That's yes. Interesting. That is, uh, that's one of the constructive criticisms that
0: I received
1: was, Alisa, you need to enunciate. And I don't know if you saw, I've actually tweeted about it today that English is my second language
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I learned Spanish first. some Salvadorian okay. and there's some words that even now I don't know in English <laughs> and I've lived here I was born here I lived here my entire life mm-hmm. and there's some words that I still don't know in English I it's funny at this point it's many many years ago but I was at the grocery store with my friend and I was like hey I need some um, um Rabanos and she's like what <laughs> I'm like I'm like you know rabanos they're um I was like they're red um, they have white on the inside when you bite into it they have like a big you know like leaf thing sticking out and she's all a radish <laughs> and I'm like is that what it's called and she's like are you serious and I was like I, is that what it's called and she's like this thing and I was like yeah she's like yeah that's a radish and I was like oh cool. You know, but it's just stuff like that. Like, there's just some words I didn't know at the time. But that's the constructive criticism that I received. They're like, "Alisa, you talk really fast sometimes, and you don't enunciate all the words. You drop off some of your T's, you drop off some of your S's. And I was very sensitive to that. Uh And I remember thinking, like, so you're calling me stupid? (laughs) In my head, I didn't say that. Um, But when I heard myself back and even now doing this podcast, I can I can like, see myself doing it when I start talking fast. And that's because in my Spanish language, I talk very fast in Spanish. Mm-hmm and me and my dad have conversations all the time and my my mom always makes fun of us because she's like how do you guys even understand what you're saying like she's (laughs) like you guys you guys aren't even finishing words you're just like starting them dropping off and then you're like keep going and it's how I talk to all my relatives I talk very fast and I talk very fast in Spanish almost to the point where I trip myself up and so people I respect you know Alana Tim Neverett Shelly Smith People at ESPN have told me, like, you're really good, but just slow down, enunciate your words, and take your time. No one's rushing you. You know, you're not Mm -hmm. like, yes, do you have a 30-second hit? Yes, do you have to be off in a minute? Sure. But as long as you write your hit out, you could probably get out at any point in time anyway. So it doesn't really matter if you just stop talking or if you say, all right, guys, or back to you or whatever. And it's something that I'm learning now in my podcast as well. Like sometimes I have to re-record things because I notice myself drop some letters, drop some s's, and I'm like, wow, okay, that's that's something I really do have to work on. And so again, I, I took it very like, kind of like, why are you saying that to me? Like, oh my gosh, like, what do you mean? But then when I really realized that these people are there to help me, they're not there to criticize me. I took an honest look at myself, and I was like, wow, they're right. I. I do do that and I need to slow down and enunciate my words and make sure that I'm getting out the information where people don't have to replay me twice to know what I'm saying.
0: Well, and you bring up, you said something I think that's really important and that you realize people were trying to help you, not... Not hurt you, not criticize you. And there is a difference between constructive criticism, which mm-hmm. is totally what you just described, and then <laughs> the criticism that you're like, okay, this, I'm just ignoring that because that, <laughs> yes. you know, like that is nothing to do with anything. Yes. Um, but I think that it's important for all of us to be able to learn to take constructive criticism because mm-hmm. it probably is something that's really going to be helpful for you. Mm-hmm. And not just you, but the universal you, when we can all take a step back and listen to something and say, okay, you know what? They're not wrong. And I need to fix it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 100%. 100%. I don't so, know if you've noticed, but I, I start talking fast sometimes and then I realize I'm talking fast on the pod, on the, on this podcast. And then I like slow down. So well, you guys can hear me. Yeah, too.
0: I talk fast. <laughs> I talk fast too. And I have, you know, sometimes I don't realize I'm doing it until someone's like, what? Well, wait, can you say that one more time? Or they'll repeat. They're like, did you just say this? And I'm like, not even close. So I realize <laughs> yeah. that I need to slow down, but I have that tendency mm-hmm. as well. And yes, in what we do, it's actually, it is something that really- It's is crucial. crucial. It's really, yeah. It is really important. Um, yeah. How have you so far in your career mm-hmm. seen opportunities grow and change for women in the sports industry? And how do you think we can still improve?
1: I've seen them change a lot because I've noticed different faces covering primarily white sports or African-American sports. It's it's something that I think is a beautiful thing, Um, Mm -hmm. because one of the things that I've really noticed, the staple is three guys, one girl. And the girl is doing social media, (laughs) you know, she's doing the this is what Anthony Davis tweeted today. And now it's less, t- less toss to sideline reporter X, Y, and Z. You know, let's go inside with so and so who has more information on this. We're giving women the opportunity to be the insiders of these teams and have information that people want to listen to. And I've seen it because even at Spectrum Sports now, I used to work at on the on the side. And when we started there, so many years ago. Um, not, not Natalie who's no, no longer with the company she would just do her social segment every time and she was so good that I'm like I, you know, I kind of wish that she would do more than that mm-hmm. but that's just not what the culture and what the ratings dignified so she ended up becoming a reporter for Univision on Channel 34 and she did that for many years before she went on to a different endeavors but I saw that and I was like, okay, like I kind of want more, you know. And so then I you get the Ali Cliftons, you get the Jane Maggio's, you get the Lana Rizzo's, Serena Winners, Kirsten Watson's like you get these women coming up that are finally getting the opportunity to showcase their knowledge. They're not just a pretty face. They're not just a tall face. They're not just. There are women that know what they're talking about, can hold their own in a conversation. And you're seeing it more and more. You're seeing it now in the NBA finals. Uh, We have a sideline. We have a host that's a woman. And so I think that these opportunities are great. I think that more should be created. I think that the table should be widened where we have multiple women in these positions. I shouldn't just have top five women that I can name off the top of my head. You know, I I should be not able to name all of them at the same time. And so I think it's, I think it takes stuff like your podcast, my podcast, and women making their own way to showcase what we know. Like, if you're not going to give me the opportunity, then I'm going to show you. And Renee P. Washington, who I interviewed on my show last week, um, she said it best. She's like, I'm going to work so hard that you won't be able to deny my talent. You mm-hmm. won't be able to shy away from my talent because it'll be too it'll be too big that if you're ignoring it, people are going to know that you're ignoring it versus you claiming you just don't see it. And I just think that it, it's stuff like this, like your great podcast of, you know, how to get my job and how to get your job and kind of that aspect of informing people that it's going to be hard. But opportunities are going to come. You know you just have to be ready for those moments and make allies everywhere you go and understand the nature of this business.
0: Fantastic. And I think that is really good advice, and thank you very much for the the kind words about the pod. Um, and that that feels like a really great place to end this podcast. That was <laughs> perfect. However, of course, I cannot let you go without five fun facts, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elisa, before we get to that, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your candor and your wisdom and your insight. Um, a lot. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. I appreciate it. Thank you everyone for
1: sticking through and listening to both of our voices going back and forth. The Bedazzling Sisters are in the building.
0: The bedazzling so. sisters. I mean, <laughs> we should become, the, we might need to trademark the Bedazzling Sisters. I'm then. just saying,
1: because you know, Muncie, Muncie deserves a bedazzled like suit. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> A suit, got a suit would take us like until like three seasons from now, but we can do it. But a Max Muncy bedazzled suit does not sound terrible. at all. I'm actually now imagining Max Muncy in a bedazzled suit. And I think it's <laughs> fantastic. I'm um, so excited about that. Um, but before we go and before we bedazzle, first we have to do five fun facts with Elisa Hernandez. Number one, what is your favorite moment in sports?
1: My favorite moment in sports has to be Kobe's 60-point game at Staples Center. I say that because it's one of the few times I was able to take off my professional hat and go as a fan. And I remember when he announced his retirement on Players' Tribune, I instantly bought tickets to the last game of the year because I just knew Kobe's mentality. I was like, there's no way he's not going to play in the last game. Like, there's just no way. Um, He would literally have to be... I don't even know. <laughs> there's no way. I just there's, There was no way. And so I bought tickets to the game, and I went, and the whole atmosphere was just crazy. Like, I returned back to that six-year-old kid watching him enter the NBA, missing free throws in the playoffs, coming back, winning three titles, coming back, battling out with the Suns, battling out with the kid. I returned to that kid, and I was screaming. I was... When he hit the game winner, like I'm getting chills now just talking about it. It's one of my favorite moments uh, because just the rawness and the effort of his career was so displayed. And it was during the time when the Warriors were going after the Bulls franchise record for the season. And my eyes, everyone's eyes were glued on that game, you know, especially now that he's gone and. It was a memory that I will never take for granted. And I'm so happy that I took that opportunity to go as a fan and appreciate the greatness that was Kobe Bryant to my life growing up. I mean, the first game I ever saw was Kobe versus Iverson. It was my first game ever at Staples Center. And so for me to storybook that with a 60-point performance as his last game was, it's to to this day, my favorite moment in sports. Incredible. (laughs) What is your life motto? My life motto is don't confuse routine with commitment.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: I, like I yeah, I am a I'm a big believer in that, and that's gotten me out of situations that it's like, okay, am I doing this just because I'm, I'm, I've been doing it for a while, or is this really what I want to do? And I apply that to everything, you know, life, friends, family, relationships, sports, career. You have to make sure that you don't confuse the two, because that's how you get stuck in places that you don't belong and you box yourself you're not allowed to outgrow that box and so I I, I try to live by that and follow that as much as I can
0: go to workout
1: so I don't really work out that much (laughs) but (laughs) but when I do I like to run I like to run because I just feel like it's very free put my music on and I just kind of go you know, and um, it's one of those things that you kind of just zone out and you just kind of run straight. You run around the block, you run around the Rose Bowl. You just let everything go and you're just kind of zone into yourself and your body and, and, and what you need at that moment. And you think about things. But to me, running is, tends to be the most freeing moments uh, for me. Go-to coffee order. Ooh, if you know me, if you really know me, <laughs> it's caramel macchiato from uh, Starbucks. Hot or cold, depending on the day. Uh, extra vanilla extra caramel drizzle sometimes upside down so you're going to give me on so now I'm thirsty <laughs> but yeah, yes caramel it. macchiatos is is my go-to
0: I love a caramel macchiato they are just delicious they are what is a book that every woman should read
1: so it's so oh that's such a good question um, it's going to be a really unique answer but it's called Influence uh, it's a science and practice book by Robert B I'm going to mispronounce his name but it's like Cialdini And basically, it's The Psychology of Persuasion. And it's one of my favorite books. I read it in college. And it's one of my favorite books because it teaches you the different ways that people negotiate in life. And whether it's instant reciprocation, like some people say, well, I did this for you. You have to do this for me now. Another way, it's like, well, they ask for something small and then they ask for something big. Another way to do it is ask for something big and ask for something small. And so it gives you different ways that people try to influence you throughout life Mm -hmm. and it's really tied into business and psychology and and understanding how people make their way in life. And it's one of my favorite books. It's technically like educational book, but it's a really easy, fun read because the author just writes it in a very conversational way. And I recommend it because it just, it teaches you so much and you actually learn about yourself and how you influence people and how you negotiate. And you know, I'm a big person on being like reciprocating what I do. You know, I'm not going to ask what I wouldn't do myself. And I learned that, oh, that's, that's actually a, a term that's used <laughs> in psychology. And so I recommend everybody to read it, especially working in sports and having to deal with, you know, negotiating interviews and talking to PR and, and doing all these things. Uh, it, you've seen it yourself when people do podcasts or do interviews. It's like, OK, I'll do it, but I need to plug in my event. OK, I'm doing this, but I specifically we need to drive the conversation to this part of what I want to talk about. And so it's that kind of give and take. And so that's something I recommend women to read because it's always good to kind of be on top of your game and knowing what what's coming at you. So you're prepared to kind of have a defense against it.
0: Fantastic. I will check it out for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Lisa. This is a lot of fun.
1: I know. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And realistically,
0: this conversation went by so fast. I can't believe it's over. <laughs> I know, it did. It went by really fast. And so if you guys like what you heard, which I know you did, make sure to leave us a five star review, please. And also don't forget to follow us on fan on I'm start that over. If you guys if you guys like what you heard and I know that you did, please make sure to leave us five stars and a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Bye, all.